0: My name is Justin The Clue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan, and you're listening to The Important Cinema Club, and today's a very special episode. I know that all of our listeners have had been waiting with bated breath for the top ten list of movies that they've all heard about before.
1: You know, somebody needed to do a top ten list, and <laughs> we decided to do it. The ten best movies of 2016, according to us, which will have many consensus choices.
0: <laughs> the only list you will ever need this year. Man. Throw all the other ones out. Have, I heard have you one. heard
1: of a little movie called Moonlight? A little <laughs> movie called Manchester by the Sea? Well, guess what? Get ready to hear about them again.
0: Do you read a lot of people's top ten lists, Will?
1: I used to read more. I mean, you know, I, I read the top ten lists of you know people i follow on twitter and a select group of critics but like, i like when
0: i read one you just hope for that movie that you're like oh i've never heard of this before and this person obviously really likes it so i have to go check it out that didn't really happen this year
1: the other thing that's frustrating too is you know critics are releasing their top 10 list at the beginning of december because they've seen all these movies in advance and half the movies haven't even come out yet
0: you're like, like i haven't seen silence it hasn't come
1: out and like by the time a movie like la la land comes out it's already gone through like 10 rounds some backlash and backlash to the backlash and backlash to the backlash to the backlash.
0: There's no way to wrap your head around by, it.
1: By the time I finally saw La La Land, it's like, oh, I don't even need... It's redundant. I've already been through like 10 cycles of backlash.
0: You're like, my emotional core has been shaken so much I can't even, that I can't enjoy it yeah, for what it is. Exactly. Okay, so we're going to do what we did last year, which is we go, you give your 10, I give my 10. I forgot how we did it. If we both have a movie at a different place, we just discuss it, sure, and just move on from there. If Do uh...
1: you have any like qualifications you want to say about your list? Any like uh No, thing?
0: not really, other than the fact that there's no real surprises on this one. I I did look at the Cage Cinema top 10 and be like, hmm, "Maybe there's a uh there's you know a curveball i can throw Nah, nothing they usually have a funny top 10 list they do but the thing about cage cinema as well is that they have films from like 2014 in their list yeah fairly often um because i don't know the distribution system or the way that people can just pick whatever movie you want so
1: uh armand white just put out his better than list this year and i was reading it and i was thinking man what a self-parody that guy's become (laughs)
0: What was like? What what does that list entail?
1: You know, all all the stuff that you would expect him not to like. So it was like, um, well,
0: all the all the popular stuff.
1: Well, he doesn't like Moonlight. He doesn't like the Ava duvarney documentary. All the stuff you would expect him not to like. That's insane. Doesn't like, like Manchester. Or, you know, he he had uh, Batman versus Superman better than Deadpool, which actually maybe it is. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> hot <about> take. That. <laughs> hot take. I would say uh, with my list, the only caveats are um, haven't had a chance to see. Silence or Patterson or The Love Witch. Yeah, I haven't seen those either. Which are three 2016 movies I'm looking forward to, but uh, Silence only just came out today in Canada.
0: All right, so I'll start with my number 10, which is Low Life Love. Never heard of it. It is a Japanese movie. That's credited as being released in 2015, but I think that's like its festival circuit kind of thing. All right. It was made by, um, a released by Sir Window Films, who are like a distributor in the UK, of like a lot of Japanese films like Sion Sono and stuff like that. This one made my list for one very specific reason. It's about a director <laughs> <laughs> making... The premise of the movie is that he had one hit when he was very young, and now he's like 39 and still living with his mother and making basically pornos, and he's a huge piece of shit. Like, the worst piece of human garbage you could have. And you watch him travail through these scenarios as he just gets worse and worse until there's like nowhere else for him to go. And as a director, I automatically have to put a film... That involves another director on my list. But anyway, this sounds like a really good movie. Yes, it is very good. And it's just because it speaks to me personally that it it did something for me. You had
1: an early success with Teddy Bomb, and now here you are. (laughs) You're directing porn, and you hate yourself.
0: (laughs) That's right. Um, This is actually a really tough film to watch, too. So, like, there's a lot of sexual assault and terrible stuff. So, you know, it comes with some caveats, I guess.
1: Well, okay. Uh, I'm sorry that we had to start the list like that. Let's move on to my number 10, uh, another movie about a director, in fact, a little movie called De Palma. uh,
0: Oh, yes. About
1: Brian De Palma. Now, this movie has lingered with me in ways uh, that I didn't expect it to because – Uh, It's essentially one long interview with Brian De Palma as he goes through all of his movies, gives you behind-the-scenes insights, says whether he thought it worked or not, goes over his whole career. I'm not really a Brian De Palma fan. You know, he's made some movies I like, but just just in general, uh, he doesn't strike me the way he strikes a lot of people. But uh, I like this movie for two big reasons. I think Jake Paltrow and Noah Baumbach, who directed it, through their deployment of clips, make a good case for Brian De Palma as... Uh, a really interesting visual stylist. And also, I think people have said that this movie is just like a glorified DVD extra, but I think what they're missing is the story that it tells of a man's career. It shows how, you know, this kind of show business lifer his career is dictated so much by just the whims of the market and popular taste and some movies come into fashion 20 Uh, years later. He makes
0: bad movies as well. Like, Bonfire of the Vanities is terrible.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the key lines in the movie is halfway through when he says, directors don't plan their careers. Mm -hmm. Some movies just happen because another movie couldn't happen. Or, you know, some movies
0: fail because you got the wrong actor or this or that. I mean, I really liked it because I am a huge fan of Brian De Palma, but I don't feel like it connected with me emotionally in any way, because of the way that it was kind of presented and stuff like that, I thought it was good.
1: I would love this to become like a franchise uh, of just like I would love to see <laughs> like, like Spielberg? I would love to see Spielberg or you know Abel Ferrara or <laughs> or or you know Woody Allen or just somebody who's had like a, a you know thirty movies or something like that, just going one by one and who has no fucks left to give.
0: But I was really shocked when this movie was announced because I know that um, the guy who does all the special features for Steven Spielberg's DVD, his name is like Lawrence Buzaro, once tried to do a kind of Truffaut Hitchcock book with Brian De Palma, and he said that Brian De Palma would just not speak, and he could not get the interviews that he wanted out of them. And I think that something that's really interesting about De Palma is that... The director is speaking so openly because he's friends with Paltrow and Noah Bombach, who directed the documentary. And
1: he probably also respects them as directors, mm-hmm. even though they don't make movies like he does. Oh, the other thing is De Palma is just like a great guy to spend two hours with. He's just a terrific raconteur.
0: Yeah. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Even if you don't love his movies, like you don't, right? I don't. All right, so number nine for me is Kubo and the Two Strings. Okay. Did you see that one? I did not. Oh, it's good. Uh, I'm a sucker for stop motion animation. This deal is Japanese iconography, and it's really touching in the end. See, this is the problem. What do I have to say about these movies that these people have not heard a million times? <laughs> I it's like heard I'm it. sitting here trying to list it off.
1: Um, I didn't go see it because I'm a grown up and it's a fucking cartoon but. <laughs>
0: oh fuck you Roger yeah, Ebert yeah. video games aren't art
1: <laughs> no no I'm sure it's great it looks really good
0: yeah it's really sad if I was a kid and seen it it would have probably destroyed me at the end uh-huh. and it's something that just from a sheer technical craft level the fact that it's stop motion animation already it above most of the animated films that are out there but you know I haven't seen Monster Trucks that's a 2017 <laughs> movie but the director of Robot and Ice Age has not let me down yet
1: so. I suspect that a year from now we'll be hearing more about monster trucks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on this very podcast.
0: All right. What's your number nine?
1: A movie that you've seen. It's called Shin Godzilla.
0: That is also my number eight. Oh, nice. I mean, this, I
1: feel like... Listen, We I, love
0: Godzilla. I, We've talked about him at length, haven't we? I
1: love all Godzilla movies, but... W- I also feel like this is maybe the Godzilla movie that I was waiting my whole life for in a way, in that it really delivers as a Godzilla movie, but it's also an outside-the-box approach on it.
0: I'm sorry. The movie that I've been waiting my whole life to see that featured Godzilla already came out It's called Godzilla Final Wars. I have nothing
1: but respect for Godzilla Final Wars. These two movies are, I feel like, the opposite extremes Absolutely. of the Godzilla franchise. Mm-hmm. They're both great outside-the-box approaches. <laughs> this one is told almost entirely from the perspective of like government bureaucrats who are trying to deal with Godzilla. Godzilla Uh, just an enormous cast with very few main characters a a few Um, you know a very funny movie uh, a lot of comic scenes about bureaucracy and it uh, also treats Godzilla in a way where Godzilla is actually at times genuinely scary and Mm -hmm. awe-inspiring
0: yeah I remember when I saw it there's, like, a chill that runs down your spine even when Godzilla lets out his atomic breath at one point in the movie. And I was like, how is this possible? Like, we've seen Godzilla do this hundreds of times.
1: And it's also, like, uh, there are a lot of scenes where, you know, we see Godzilla on cell phones and uh, we see news reports. News it's a real supports. Cloverfield. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like... You know, the post-9-11 reality has finally infiltrated the Godzilla series. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Batman vs. Superman, and now Shin Godzilla.
1: Yeah, and, you know, watch both movies back-to-back, and you'll see why one is good and one isn't.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Little spoilers here. Batman vs. Superman make your top ten list? Uh, No, but it's probably in my top 100 for sure. Of 2016? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I don't know if that's a compliment. I don't know
1: if I've seen 100 movies this year.
0: All right, so what's your number eight? Because my number eight was Shin Godzilla.
1: Well, my number eight is Certain Women by Important Cinema Club favorite Kelly Reichart. I feel like Kelly Reichart is one who I've always liked her movies when I've when I've seen them, you know, every couple of years, but she's one who I actually feel like clicked for me in a way that she never had before when we did an episode of her mm-hmm. on the Important Cinema Club. Uh this movie essentially follows, as the title would say, three women, three certain women I kind of don't even want to, like, describe what the plots are. Because I have seen it. I mean, I mean, there's such minimalist little stories that I feel like even saying what they're about is kind of pointless. But... And it
0: doesn't have distribution in Canada yet, I don't think. Which is crazy. We yeah. talked about it on our Kelly Reichardt episode. But, like, what, what? And it stars, like, kind of A and B list stars, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, the three women are uh, Laura Dern, uh, Lily Gladstone, and Michelle Williams with an assist by Kristen Stewart in one of the stories. It's based on a short story author whose name escapes me now. But I feel like Kelly Reichardt's cinema at its best has the power of a really good short story. Mm -hmm. It has this austerity where, you know, so, so much is left unsaid and so much is inferred. And also the way she depicts this movie set in Montana, kind of rural Americana, it's very potent like you really feel like you're walking in the woods with these people
0: are all these women lost like all of the rest of her cinema either existentially or physically like some of them <laughs> no spoilers but i i also like
1: that she makes movies that really feel like they're about ordinary people mm-hmm. and the struggles that ordinary people go through in this day and age and this economy <laughs> and we and- say
0: from will's uh like penthouse condo <laughs> that we're recording in <laughs> <day. laughs>
1: Yeah, I can't identify with these characters
0: (laughs) in in any way. Uh, So my number seven is a movie I saw in 2015 and almost didn't make it on my list because it's one of those like, I saw it at the uh, Toronto International Film Festival years ago, uh, which is Green Room. Love that movie. Yeah, good movie. I love uh, Little Siege film and this one is so sparse, direct, has a great Patrick Stewart performance uh, hanging out on the edges and it's something that's, should go down as an easy recommendation when people ask you like oh I like you know these kinds of films and it didn't take off at all in the public consciousness yeah it's too
1: bad it's just a really good like stripped down it's a movie that I think people will discover on Netflix yeah and
0: and be like what is this yeah I I think that the director they were really hoping that this would be like his liftoff to like other stuff and it seemingly is not which is kind of sad but you should check it out if you haven't I'm glad
1: somebody finally made neo-nazis look bad (laughs) my number seven is also a movie that i saw at tiff 2015 it's mountains made apart by the mainland chinese filmmaker Jia zhanka or zha zhanka i don't know i'm not from <laughs> it
0: sounds like you're saying a word in french zha Zhangke. zha zhanka zha i don't see know it. i'm not
1: it. i am not i am not from mainland china yeah but it follows a woman and her family over the course of in china In three time periods, 1999, 2014 and 2025. The last segment is more about her son. It's kind of a parable for the effect that China's embrace of capitalism and what Jia Zhangke would, I guess, characterize as Western values, the effect that that's had on China's national identity. I feel this movie has had a somewhat more muted critical reception than some I mean it was Well, a
0: touch of sin was pretty big when it came yeah, out,
1: right? I, I mean, it was well received, but I feel like this movie, Mountain's Made Apart, the reception was a little cold a lot because a lot of the reason was because the third segment frankly has some bad acting and some awkward dialogue. I think the flaws of the movie though are so minor you know, compared to what it achieves, which is kind of a really powerful, you know, state of the nation for China. And I also think, like, the final shot is overwhelmingly moving.
0: I think that's what's funny. I haven't seen this movie, but I had the unfair advantage of seeing Will's list because he posted it on um, David Davidson's website. Yeah, uh, TorontoFilmReview dot blogspot dot com. That's right. And uh, I was just looking at my list now, and as uh, Will's going through his stuff, and I realized that the middle of mine are all genre pictures, and the middle of Will's are all, like, art pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's I'm a, like, Green Room, you're like, mm, mountains Made to depart. <laughs> it's a all slobs against the snobs. Because <laughs> uh, my number six is Hell or High Water. Okay, good movie. Yeah, which I really loved when I saw it in theaters. Uh, unlike many of these films, I haven't had a chance to see it again. But it was just like, uh, like I wouldn't change anything mm-hmm. when I watch it. I'm like, I just really enjoy it. every scene of this movie. Moves me a little. And uh, it has so many little character touches as it goes along, whether it be the waitress that Jeff Bridges meets.
1: Which is one of my favorite scenes in a movie this year.
0: Or uh, Jeff Bridges actually giving a compelling Mushmouse performance after <laughs> doing like 10 along the way. Is
1: that actually how he talks now in real <laughs> like, life? Yeah,
0: like <laughs> a stroke or something? <laughs> I don't think so. Do you think the directors are like, all right, Jeff. Can I hear the voice that you're going to give? And he's, like, rawr, rawr, rawr. and he's like, he's like, he's oh, like, he's fucking Jeff Bridges. I remember
1: 10 years ago, he used to just talk like a normal man.
0: <laughs> but what movie it was true grit, wasn't it? That he went mush mouth. And, like, yeah. and then he's in like R.I.P.D., which is a men in black takeoff. And he still sounds like that. I also feel
1: like something happened to him after Lebowski took off where all of a sudden he started acting a bit like Lebowski. <laughs> like, I remember when he won best actor, he was saying things like, yeah, that was great, man. Like during his Oscar speech. It's like, dude, you're not actually the big Lebowski.
0: So, do you think he's a more method actor than like Daniel Day Lewis? And so, that like, he's actually
1: lost himself
0: yeah, in, the in role. these characters. <laughs> like he was Starman for a while. <laughs> he's like, what is this earth?
1: All right, what's your number six? A little movie called Wiener. Mm-hmm. Um, that's of, on my list too great one of my favorite political documentaries of all time following the disastrous attempted comeback <laughs> by the disgraced former congressman anthony weiner
0: oh my god if you guys don't know what the story is it's a congressman who sent dick pics to people or just sets. and then he accidentally in- instead of doing
1: a direct message he tweeted a picture of his dick in underwear you know Whoa. And by the way, Anthony Weiner just destroyed America, too, because he it was it was his laptop that was seized that led to Comey, you know, doing that letter saying that Hillary Clinton was under investigation again. Like, it's all Anthony Weiner's fault.
0: (laughs) And so this movie follows the um, journey that went uh, (laughs) after he was disgraced and he quit Congress. He decided to run for mayor.
1: And a, a lot of it at the urging of his wife, Huma Abedin, who was Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman and really wanted you know him to reemerge in the public eye. He was leading in the polls for the New York Democratic uh, mayoral race for a little while, but then, uh-oh, more <laughs> dick pics surfaced.
0: This time, actual, like, dick pics. Before yeah. it was just dicks and shorts.
1: Uh, first of all, I think he's got a pretty good dick. <laughs> Secondly, I mean, this, uh, it might be my favorite, like, well, it's political so, documentary like, of all raw, time, right? Like it has they had n- seemingly unfiltered access I to it. I read him. an interview
0: with the directors and they didn't know they were going to make the film until the day that Anthony Weiner went, I'm going to be running for mayor, just come and film me. Mm-hmm. And then he just let them keep filming as he addresses at one point in the documentary.
1: Well, there there comes a point when he's just been so humiliated that it's not possible to humiliate him anymore. So, so like you remember that scene when he gets into a fight with with I think a rabbi or something at a Jewish deli and that that blows up on the internet and he's looking at, it at his phone he's like nah who cares
0: <laughs> or <laughs> the yeah. film is kind of like a series of endings of a normal documentary <laughs> just getting progressively worse as they go along
1: the movie has countless just amazing scenes um you know like there's we see him doing a satellite interview where we only see his side of the interview and him like going crazy. (laughs) We see Huma Abedin as just this like ghostly presence throughout the film. Eating pizza
0: in the background. This long
1: faced, sad looking woman. And, but I think, Oh, Oh my God. The, the scene where Sydney Leathers chases him through McDonald's. But I think my favorite scene is after, you know, after the scandal is broken out again and Anthony Weiner's doing a public meeting at Staten Island and some guy in the audience says, why should we trust you? Why are you here? And then Anthony Weiner actually wins back the crowd. And you watch and you think, wow, this guy actually was a really talented politician at one point. If
0: only he hadn't been addicted to sexual messages, I guess. Yeah, not even sex. Not just even sex. Because se- I don't think he, never, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't cheat. cheat on people, yeah. right? And just recently, I don't, it's not even a post credit in the documentary because it happened a week after the documentary came out. He took another photo of himself with his child. Yeah, yeah.
1: That, yeah that's, and that
0: killed his marriage. Yeah. Him and his wife broke up after that.
1: And then, you know, he he helped elect Donald Trump. So... Oh my God. God, could, could you imagine oh just God. fucking everything up like this guy did? Anyway, just... You know, you've never seen a documentary about a political campaign like this.
0: Uh, so my number five is The Nice Guys by Shane Black. Mm. Love that movie. I love... I have a soft spot for Shane Black. And by that soft, I mean a raging hard-on that anytime he makes a movie, I'm like, oh like Anthony
1: Weiner. We don't need to hear about <laughs> about your erections. And I
0: remember the first time I saw The Nice Guys, I was like, this is hilarious. But it's not as, like, funny as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, mm. which I really love. But it's just The Nice Guys is a different kind of movie and like thinking and making this list i'm like where should the nice guys go and i'm like i don't know this list i'm gonna be honest i was just typing the movies out and just trying to put them in order because <laughs> at a certain point i'm not someone who fights like should this be my six or my seven like ev- my first or second yeah. it's like, who cares
1: everyone knows the list is arbitrary <laughs> yeah. and that you know in a year's time it could be totally different <laughs> uh But about the nice guys, you know, I think Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling had great chemistry together. You know, smart, snappy dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like the scene where Ryan Gosling does a Lou Costello impression. Do you remember that?
0: (laughs) What what, what scene is that?
1: It's when he, like, falls off the balcony and then he finds himself in the forest and he sees a dead body next to him and he goes... Like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein.
0: I mean... If that's not a reason to make my top ten list, oh, why is it? Also, Keith David is in it. Oh, Keith David in a great role. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. Is I want to make a top ten list, like what I said before, you know, you like to go see intellectual stuff, Will. I like the quick-paced, don't-have-to-think movies. Sure. That are just well put together. All right, so what's your next movie?
1: Uh, number five, Moonlight by Barry Jenkins.
0: Hey, that's my number five, too. Oh, great. Well, oh, that's, so- uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I put five twice on my list.
1: Do you have 11 movies in your TOTO
0: list? <laughs> I
1: do! <laughs> Holy shit. That's one longer, isn't it?
0: <laughs> Alright, I gotta illuminate one real fast now. Uh, no, no, just just keep going. Just All keep right.
1: going. Like, your list has eleven. That's fine.
0: Yeah. So you had. I'm gonna be one of those assholes that has like a, a dash through one, and it's like two completely different movies <laughs> okay. on the same.
1: It's cheating, but whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> Moonlight. I just feel it's almost like redundant to even talk about it at this point. Everyone's mm-hmm. seen it. Everyone knows it's great. Um, maybe I would just point out. Um, I like that last segment where it's you know the two guys almost like on a quasi date together, mm-hmm. um, where. They like, it's very tense. They spend all this time, like almost like scoping each other out, you know, so much is left. It's obvious why they're both there, but they don't quite want to admit why they're both there. I feel like it's a somewhat common universal experience that I don't see articulated in movies very often. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, just as a depiction of uh,
0: things that me and you have no experience with or We can only react to it emotionally.
1: (laughs) But like also, you know, one of the great scenes in a movie this year is, you know, without spoiling anything, when the guy hits the other guy with the chair. Mm -hmm. Because it's such a cathartic moment when you see it. But it's also the moment where he's sealing his fate in a way. Absolutely. But he doesn't even seal his fate because it ends on a hopeful note.
0: Mm -hmm. Moonlight is a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you should go and see it. Yeah. Um, So I had Wiener on here as well. And my number three is Manchester by the Sea. All right. And Manchester by the Sea. We're going to talk about it later because yeah. I've already seen Will's list. We'll
1: be hearing more about All it. All right. Number three. Uh, I'm on number four still because, he, <laughs> because somebody <laughs> fucked up his list. Number four, another art movie. Uh, a movie called Cemetery of Splendor by Pong Virasa Thakolala. I don't
0: know. <laughs> oh, I'm just giving the plot of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is, is
1: <laughs> literally set in a hospice in a remote area of Thailand where a number of soldiers have been struck by a mysterious sleeping disorder. where um, And, you know, if, if you know anything about this movie, you'll have heard that it has some kind of oblique political allegory, because Thailand was recently taken over by a military dictatorship. Um, in this movie, I mean, you know, you would only know the political allegory is there if you're told. But it's very much about the past being present in the present, uh, and nothing can change that and you know a lot of the movie i don't even know how to like so much of a Pitch at pong's movies are about the experience of seeing them but Nobody nobody evokes a dreamscape quite mm-hmm. like he does, yeah. um, not in kind of an outlandish David Lynch way, but in just the kind of way that... So,
0: like kind of like sleeping. Just, just
1: like that and, feeling of almost being asleep, but kind of being awake. Yeah,
0: you're not sure if it is a dream or if yeah. it's not.
1: But, but yeah, you know all about it. <laughs> yeah, I do. But just as the barrier between uh, the dream state and the real world is difficult to navigate in this movie, so is... You know, the line between reality and fantasy, the living and the dead, history and the present. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just as as an experience, I don't think anybody's making movies quite like him. Uh, Nobody casts quite the same spell that he casts. I think he's a very noble filmmaker.
0: Did you see it at TIFF? Or did you I, see? No, uh, I, like I saw. The it, box? I,
1: I saw it during a theatrical run.
0: Okay, so you saw. How did the audience react around you? Did people fall asleep, or were they like? I sat the closer. Are falling out.
1: <laughs> I sat closer to the front of the theater, so I don't know. Uh, oh, there was a lot of hooting and hollering. There was there was a whole row that had a pitch pong's the letters of his name on their stomachs. <laughs> woo
0: woo yeah. woo! woo. Yeah. I remember. I saw it in 40x, so of course, their seat was, was rocking you to sleep <laughs> yeah. as you're watching it. Yeah. Um, So my next one is because... This is number three. Oh, yeah. So give your number three.
1: My number three is Camera Person by Kirsten Johnston.
0: Another one that I didn't see.
1: Uh, Kirsten Johnston was the cinematographer on many documentaries, uh, most famously Citizen 4 and uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, but many others uh, that are lesser known as well. This movie, which she describes as being almost like a film memoir, is made out of uh, bits and pieces, little scraps of footage from the making of all these films put together, sometimes, you know, major moments, sometimes just incidental moments that gain a new power in this context. Through this movie we go from New York to Washington to Afghanistan to Bosnia and it does a few things. First of all, it's a remarkable testament to just how many kinds of lives there are in the world. Uh, it's also, as a meditation kind of on the art of filmmaking, it shows you what role luck has to play in documentary mm-hmm. filmmaking and skill. And just as a memoir, it's it shows a fascinating life. Somebody who's been able to bear witness to all these amazing moments.
0: Well, when it gets released in a cinema that I can go see it in, I will.
1: Yeah. You're not going to pay $14. Like I did to see it at the Bloor. <laughs>
0: nope. That's not going to happen as a man with no steady income. I <laughs> can't no do... dignity. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and no dignity. <laughs> what does that have to do? I don't know. So my next one is listen, because I'm white, And I love musicals. It's gotta be La La Land. Oh my god. (laughs) Did you see it? Yeah. Oh yeah, you did. And you're like, everybody says I love you is better than this.
1: Well, I just said that to be provocative on Twitter.
0: I love musicals. I love stories about creative people. There you go. Are they much more beautiful than I am and ever will be? Yes. I would love to make a Canadian version of this film set during winter with two, like, normal people who can't really sing that well. Yeah. That'd be perfect. You should do that, actually. I know, I should. I I would find that very charming. Um, It's called Score the Hockey Musical. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But for what it is as an object, it's something that I just really love. And I can see myself revisiting it a lot. My girlfriend Emily said when we were leaving it, I was 14. When I saw this movie. I would just live in it, mm. and I was like, "What do you mean live in it? Like, why can't you do that now?" She's like, "Listen, I'm an adult. I don't have time to watch a movie 500 times." <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa, that's what that means."
1: Yeah, so, that, that that's very sweet.
0: So, what is your number two?
1: My number two is L by Paul Verhoeven. I, I this is where that's just been talked about so much that again, it feels a bit well. It's my number one. So oh, is it? Yeah, it uh, is. Okay, well, let's wait.
0: Let's okay, wait. well, you, I know what your number one is.
1: Manchester by the Sea. And is it, is it that, your number two or what?
0: Yeah, that was my number three. Okay. We're all over the place Okay. Here. This is like a um, so, so an Alain Rene film. <laughs> I'm just like dropping movies here and there as we're going.
1: Okay, so I'll, let's talk about Manchester by the Sea yeah. then, and then we can do your top two. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Which is La La Land and L.
1: Again, another movie that uh, is just a real has everybody has talked about everybody's talked about what an emotional roller coaster it is. you're crying and you're laughing um, i would I would say two points uh, this isn't a point that's unique to me. I read this in the AV Club review, but it's very true, which is they pointed out that. No matter what happens in your life, it could be a huge tragedy. It could be your brother has died, your father has died, your house is burned down. But still, the petty annoyances of everyday life will get in the way.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what the movie's about, right? Like, you can't
1: find your car, or the hospital gurney won't fucking work. Or you hit your head on,
0: on the freezer. And that's why, like, Manchester by the Sea is so funny when you watch it. The director... Kenneth Lonergan he's made two movies before this most famously margaret which Mm. took forever to come out because he was tinkering for so long and manchester by the sea is a lot like margaret too which in that film he wanted to kind of show how this one act affects a bunch of people Mm. while manchester by the sea is very specific on kind of casey affleck but it's about all the things around him and like how it goes and it's not even a story with like a crazy journey in it like casey affleck doesn't learn a lesson at the end of the movie and that's basically what it's about
1: well this is what I love about the end of yeah. the movie without giving too much away it doesn't end in the redemptive way you expect it mm-hmm. to end it ends in a way that's very real yeah in um, and, and, and a way that's still very satisfying mm-hmm. I mean the whole movie feels so real like I when I saw it I saw it on a double feature with Hacksaw Ridge <laughs> And Which I, one
0: did you see first? I
1: saw Manchester first.
0: That's a great right choice. Uh, but I Wait, got, where's Hacksaw Ridge? That's what, your number
1: one, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, not, not on the list. And, <laughs> and you know the problem with seeing Hacksaw Ridge right after is it felt so phony, especially mm. in comparison. It felt so Hollywood. Yeah, I didn't think it was very good.
0: <laughs> I haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge, so as an Andrew Garfield completist, so I'll check it out. I,
1: I thought you, as somebody who likes to support Mel Gibson and, <laughs> and especially his personal life, would want to give him money. But
0: um, yeah, Manchester by the Sea. Watching it. There's so, like Will said, all the little details. It's not just about his brother dying and what happens afterward. It's what happens after the afterwards. Yeah. And that's what's like really interesting about it. And I also love
1: that the kid in the movie, the teenager, even though his dad died, he's still a piece of shit. He's still <laughs> got two girlfriends. He's still got a shitty band. He's still like wants his grieving uncle to, like, drive him to band <laughs> practice because, listen, I got-
0: And I got, let his girlfriend why, why stay can't, over.
1: Why can't you move here? I have a band. You've got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's so real.
0: <laughs> okay, and now let's talk about Elle. Something that me and you, even though that it was directed by Paul Verhoeven, a Caucasian male-
1: Yeah, sis, I assume.
0: We don't know how Verhoeven swings. He can go all ways. This is a movie that probably the most interesting thing- as far as the critical reception, is how wrong a lot of it read to me. Well, I mean,
1: I, honestly, I think the, the reviews were generally pretty good. No, I they mean, were very good. Like, there were, there were a few, I also feel like, straw man reviews who hated it and didn't get it. And I feel like those reviews almost have to exist, just, just so people like <laughs> us can talk about well, them. Well,
0: but... I mean, if we're talking about, like, arguments people make against it, there's two that really stand out in my mind, is that this is an anti-feminist film and that it's a movie about a sociopath.
1: Both absurd, yeah,
0: yeah. Which I disagree with both of them. I
1: mean, you know, God forbid I talk about rape on the podcast because what would I know? But, <laughs> but you know, if the Gian Gomeshi trial showed us anything, mm-hmm. it's that people can respond to sexual assault and rape in in ways that we don't expect them to, or that are counterintuitive. You know, in this movie, uh Isabel huper plays somebody who had a, a very severe childhood trauma and was able to lift herself above it to become a very successful, you know, head of a video game company. And then when she's raped in the movie, she almost doesn't want to admit to herself that she's been raped and she wants to like get power over the rapist, almost as if it's like saying, listen, I pulled myself up from this situation. Nobody's going to bring me back down to being a victim, Uh, which it's a movie about rape that really deals with some of the complicated ways people respond to it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that it's just a really complicated movie with no easy answer. Even though that Verhoeven drops that, like, her father was a serial killer thing that people have been kind of glomming onto. is like, oh, that's the reason she acts the way she does all the time. It's not that simple. It, it's not. It's just very complicated. Or the idea that she engineers the ending of the movie is... Absurd. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't really work.
1: <laughs> but but also, uh, nobody could have done this but Isabel Huppert. I can't think of any... Oh, like she's so good. Like, could you imagine, like, Nicole Kidman or someone in the movie? Like, it wouldn't have worked. Like, there is a essential, like hardness to Isabelle mm-hmm. Huppert uh, a, a kind of toughness like there's something about her that is not ingratiating I, I mean she's the best actress in the world but, but there's something about her that
0: she's not a warm person exactly mm-hmm. uh, I like that Verhoeven said that when he made this movie he wanted to make people really angry at him again and that he found he was a little bit taken aback at how like people loved it <laughs> yeah
1: although there have still been oh, a few like yes, some real, straw like... straw men who have <laughs> given straw arguments
0: all right, so I think that's it for us because mine was La La Land and L were my last two. Great, and Manchester by the Sea right before Do that. Do you have one. any honorable mentions? Um, not that many. Uh, I like. I really loved Everybody Wants Some by Richard yeah, Linklater. Yeah, good movie. yeah, it's fun. It's not gonna be my top ten list, and I really like the Invitation, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you got a chance to see. That I did one. on Netflix. Yeah. yeah, and that was just a real small, intimate movie done in a really compelling way that i found mm. that though i'm i'm a sucker for kind of contained stories and i really enjoyed that one how about I, you
1: i enjoyed train to Busan. the korean, oh i completely
0: forgot about train to Busan. yeah that yeah, one was great the
1: korean zombie movie just a really solid genre exercise i enjoyed uh, werner herzog's documentary into the inferno uh
0: has that officially come out yet though it's on netflix oh is it what about that other werner herzog movie you saw on salt the... and fire yeah not on my list <laughs> <laughs> <Did> <laughs> that just, one come out too
1: uh, i don't think so <laughs> It might be a while till we see that one, but uh, Into the Inferno, uh, you know, for, for lots of reasons, but it also, like, j- just gives unprecedented
0: access to North Korea. Uh, what about some films that didn't make our list? Um, Nocturnal Animals. Piece which, of shit. Which <laughs> I poo, saw. Awful. And I was like, wait, people really like this movie? It feels like a, a film that, like, a 20-year-old in film school writes after getting out of a relationship.
1: I actually think Nocturnal Animals was... <laughs> one of the worst movies I saw this year. I think that whatever parallel he Tom Ford was trying to do with those two plots, like it was almost insulting that he thought there was a parallel there.
0: <laughs> like it ended and I was like, wait, that's it? Am I like missing something? And I also or? feel like,
1: you know, the the opening kind of rape and abduction scene in Nocturnal Animals is such an awful experience to sit through that I don't want to be put through a scene like that and have it be in a movie like this.
0: <clears throat> um, the Handmaiden, good movie? Good movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that you don't feel that you're never going to get that thrill that Park Chan Wook gave you when you saw, like, oh boy. Yeah,
1: when I was in high school. Yeah. Loved him.
0: He, and when now you we're I... watching the Fight Clubs and the Boondock Saints. <laughs> and, and now like, I like him. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting because he is challenging himself like this is not the kind of movie that he made mm. but it's just the story is like yeah that's fine yeah
1: the, oh the lobster was good
0: oh i really like yeah. lobster yeah
1: not quite on my list let's talk about the big elephant in the room a little movie called tony erdman yes why is it not on your
0: list uh it's fine
1: yeah i didn't i didn't think okay here's us think about tony erdman it's like three hours long.
0: It opened at uh con, didn't it?
1: And was overwhelmingly praised.
0: Oh my God. It made it, like the cover of every film magazine. It's number
1: one on everyone's list. Everyone thinks that this is like some miracle of cinema. I don't know. Maybe I just went in with, with too high expectations.
0: My expectations were pretty low though, because you were like, eh. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going give to it, give it a chance. I'm like...
1: I heard somebody say that it's almost like three episodes of a British comedy show. <laughs> that's
0: exactly what it is. Yeah. Like glued together.
1: Uh, I think... You know the the two big comic set pieces in the movie, which are you know the naked party scene and uh, the scene where she sings. I think they fall embarrassingly flat. <laughs> yeah. Now, but I I saw it with an audience that was like hooting and hollering really? through them. Yeah, they loved it. When
0: I saw Manchester by the Sea, the audience was loving the movie. Like oh, they yeah. laughed throughout. Yeah, uh, I didn't see Tony Erdman. Uh, was a huge crowd, and there were laughs and titters, but that was pretty much it.
1: Yeah, um, I would say that um, you know the brothers Grimsby scene where <laughs> where they're in the elephant is much funnier than anything. To Whoa, wait, Erdman save has that. To offer. We're gonna
0: talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and also another problem with Tony Erdman is I, I feel like the father character. I just hate him.
0: Yeah. I, so he's... I
1: can't. I fundamentally couldn't connect to him. I could. And the, plot.
0: the movie had me for the first hour uh uh-huh. where the father visits his daughter and he's trying to connect with her and it's awkward and she's kind of not a very good person but then yeah. like the last two hours i'm like what is this yeah and i know people are like well it's really a metaphor for the way that european jobs are being outsourced i don't uh. care <laughs> connect with me emotionally in some yeah. way sorry guys <laughs> yeah i guess we're just two stone cold robots yeah that have nothing for that um
1: I'm glad you agree with me, because no one else does. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. I,
0: I, I, I don't know, like, what is there in the movie that... I don't know, it just yeah, yeah. did move me. Yeah. All right, and, you know, some other big ones are not on our list. O.J., um made in america not and that's movie. not there cuz it's not a movie. I have
1: seen a disturbing trend of people putting TV shows in their top 10 lists. Not just that, but things that are like <laughs> undeniably TV shows like the like the nick or something. Like those those things aren't
0: well it was directed by one guy, the nick, Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, it doesn't
1: make it um doesn't make it a movie.
0: It's not yeah, if, unless you sat in a theater and watched all the episodes in one go, not a movie. Yeah. But then is out one a movie that was made for tv well, as well
1: you know i saw crisis in six scenes and i gotta tell you that <laughs> comes pretty close to being a movie that really is just a movie that he cut in six seconds, <laughs> and segments. it would have
0: been on your top ten list if, <laughs> if you, you, know, you didn't. Um... I don't think so.
1: Oh, actually, you know, a movie that's not on my top ten list, but that I did like was Cafe Society. I, I like Cafe
0: Society. I liked a lot. it more
1: than most people did. I thought that it caught this kind of a bittersweet tone, this kind of wistful quality that um, his movies haven't caught in a while.
0: Just like Manchester by the Sea, it goes like further than you think it's going to go, right? Yeah, because the trailers present one thing, but the movie is actually kind of different.
1: Yeah, and and it made me think that you know Woody Allen, he has I don't know four or five ideas, but you know sometimes some of his ideas are still worth thinking about, sometimes even if they're familiar. He,
0: he brings up that one idea that you like, you're yeah. like, oh yeah, I, I like that yeah. one.
1: Anyway, it's too bad he's probably a child molester. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is there anything you're looking forward to in 2017? Uh, no, <laughs> well a lot of superhero movies coming out. Spider Man, Guardians of the Galaxy two. They're gonna
1: play an Ultraman movie at the Royal. Lane two Ultraman? Yeah, movies. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, if you disagree with our picks... Go or, to hell. <laughs> no, send us letters. Yeah, yeah send us letters. At Important Cinema Club Podcast at gmail.com. So next week, we're going to do some classic German-slash-Hollywood with Fritz Lang. Hell yeah. We're starting the... I, that's weird that we did a German filmmaker... On the last episode, too. Edgar G. Elmer. Oh, yeah. So, we're keeping it German.
1: Okay. Uh, Fritz Lang, somebody who Edgar G. Elmer claims to have worked with.
0: Yeah. He claims to have, like, designed the sets for Metropolis and stuff like that. And if he did, good job. (laughs) Those are some (laughs) great sets. But that has never been proven. Um, So, we're going to be doing uh, Fritz Lang's M classic uh, early sound picture with Peter Lorre tracking a serial killer that murders children. Mm -hmm. And we'll be watching... Uh, a
1: Hollywood movie to be determined.
0: Yeah, I don't think we picked which one. Yeah, right? we'll we'll find one. <clears throat> it will keep you on the edge of your seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's gonna be next week. Do we have a good year? What was your favorite episode of the Important Cinema Club in 2016? Oh, it's
1: you know it's like choosing my favorite <laughs> child. It's not like I listen to this. <laughs>
0: You're a fucking liar. I have. I, I know you listened I to it. I have
1: listened to it, yes. When
0: you're like, oh my god, Justin was particularly bad on this episode. <laughs> I really hope he deleted all of his um, <laughs> tirades against the lower class. All right, well, my name's Justin Klu. I was Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. All right, well, for all our super secret fans who are listening to the end of this podcast, it's time to share our real top ten list. None of that, like, populist... Um... Numbers
1: one through ten, The Brothers Grimsby. <laughs> so, you just saw The Brothers Grimsby. I did. I've, I've been one of this city's biggest boosters of The Brothers so Grimsby. So you've told
0: the story already. If you saw it in an AVX cinema? <laughs> it's like five other people. I, I Watching this movie in a
1: cavernous cinema, almost alone, I was like... Robert De Niro and Kate Fear, <laughs> just like laughing my ass off all the way through.
0: So, for people that don't know, this is a Sasha Baron Cohen slash Mark Strong uh, <laughs> spy spoof directed by Louis Leterrier, who directed the Transporter films, Unleashed, as it's known in America. Oh, I a- love a- Unleashed. A- Danny the dog. Yeah. Um, he was like a bright light in the Luc Besson action factory, mm-hmm. where Luc Besson would like take guys and give them like weird franchise movies to do, which turned into like Olivier Megaton and other shitty directors like that. Yeah. But Louis Leterhy, was the guy Yeah, and then he made Clash of the Titans which is not good I just want to I, I then he just, made now Seen, I just want to
1: emphasize credit. I think Unleashed aka Danny the Dog good movie I love it I think it's great
0: one of the rare films the first credit that pops up on screen when the picture ends is action choreography by yu ping
1: nice first credit nice. like lifted
0: he's is like I know what's important about these movies Yeah. so he's had a bunch of rough patches And then he made Brothers Grimsy and tanked.
1: Sasha Baron Cohen has had a bit of a precipitous decline lately Oof. and like, I think The Brother Grimsby has, like, three or four scenes that are just incredibly funny.
0: You know what I'm going to say right off the top is that the few um, parts of action in this movie I found genuinely exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, there's a hardcore Henry-style <coughs> POV action scene mm-hmm. at the beginning that is genuinely well put together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I didn't see this movie when it's coming out because the idea of Sacha Baron Cohen playing this character was atrocious to me. I had no interest in it. Like, he's playing, like, a dumb, um... Working British, class yeah.
1: British guy, yeah. But
0: he takes it to such naked gun levels that it's just a joke. Well, it's like,
1: there's the scene where he has to suck out the poison, or or Mark's... Yeah, he has to suck the poison. I, like, we've all seen... It's, like, one of the oldest comedy tropes. Oh, you've got to suck the poison out and the guy doesn't want to. In this movie, he has to suck the poison out of Mark Strong's ball sack.
0: Which you see in vivid detail (laughs) slapping him in the face. Like,
1: that's so absurd.
0: And he's like, I need to get on top.
1: Or the scene where the two of them like hide in an elephant's vagina during like mating season or whatever. It may this
0: be one of the only comedies to feature like full-on penetration in the film. Because you see the elephant's vagina and the dick going inside (laughs) Just thinking about it, it's like... And that's an action set piece, too, because Mark Strong is like, my neck is going to break, so Sacha Baron Cohen has to, like, jerk the elephant off.
1: But, but, like, I want to get at the root of why this movie was so poorly received, because, it, like, not only did it just totally tank at the box office, but it got some really vicious, like, one-star
0: reviews. So, if you look on Letterboxd, which is where I post all my um, reviews when I do stuff... There's a lot of three and three and a half star reviews of people being like, I laughed a lot at this, but I felt bad about
1: it. Yeah, okay, that's that's the root of it, yeah. because I think, you know, critics, like, went crazy for Borat, because, first of all, Borat was funny, mm-hmm. but, it, like, I think critics are more comfortable with, like, really vulgar humor when they think that it's for some sort of, like you know, greater satirical purpose. So, like, Borat had scenes of, of, you know, like, the thesis of Borat was, ah, well, America is actually racist. And <laughs> and we're using this uh, naked wrestling scene to show America's dark side. And then I feel like when Brothers Grimsby came out, it, it almost, like, I I, you know, I don't want to have bad faith on critics, but I feel like, some of them thought it was almost like a betrayal it's like wait a minute this movie is just like really dumb scatological humor
0: it's like a Mike Myers style comedy right? yeah like, like,
1: like what? what happened to Sacha Banco and the saturists. we got hoodwinked <laughs> by him into like laughing at really vulgar comedy
0: this movie ends with most characters <laughs> sitting on fireworks
1: like stu- shoving fireworks up their asses and then and then you see them in the next scene where they have these like cavernous asses now <laughs> <out. laughs>
0: was so- <laughs> I mean, it has a lot of bad jokes in it too. We oh yeah, yeah, stone yeah. Face.
1: yeah. But but the scenes that are funny like totally make up for any dead spots.
0: And it's one of those movies we've described the scenes, but when you see them, like you, will if you find this kind of stuff funny, like yeah. you will laugh. But the point being, I think
1: critics are more comfortable with Sacha Baron Cohen when he's making fun of like American Southerners because mm. because you know liberals like to feel smarter than Southerners, <laughs> and so they saw Borat and they're like, oh, we're we're on board, we're in Sacha Baron Cohen's side, we're smarter than these Americans.
0: Uh, as opposed to jokes about the fact that Sasha Baron Cohen shaved his kid's head so it looks like he has leukemia so <laughs> he can collect the welfare checks.
1: Brothers Grimsby just wants to hit you in the gut with laughs. <laughs> it just wants to make you laugh. There's no greater agenda.
0: I feel that Louis Leche here was probably like, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> like... Mm. After it tanked so badly It didn't come in time To make our top 10 list But me and Will Just saw a movie Before recording this Yes A new Jackie Chan film On the big screen
1: We went to uh, God you know I think of all the years When I used to dream Of being able to see Another Jackie Chan movie On the big screen Like a Chinese one Like a Chinese one Like new police story The myth All those ones just Didn't even They barely even got Released on video here uh, but yeah you know thanks to globalization thanks to uh, thanks to not having to make film prints anymore you know our local multiplex just plays all these Chinese movies and we got to see Railroad Tigers
0: the new um, film that Jackie Chan made with his auteur's buddy I guess Ding um, Shang yeah. he
1: directed Police Story 23, 2013 and Little Big Soldier
0: yep that's right and Saving Mr. Wu with uh, the Andy Lau which is fine you know you guys don't need to watch that now
1: the last 15 years I feel like have been a long process of me like coming to terms with the fact that jackie chan will never be good again
0: well he's old yeah like
1: he's old and like let's face it he's not an artist you know he just makes these like kind of commercial shitty chinese mainland blockbusters now that are sort of propaganda films yeah
0: and, and so, he doesn't
1: have good taste in material.
0: And Railroad Tigers was one that I was never very excited about. It kind of snuck up on me. Like, yeah. oh, it's coming out. And I was like, wait, is Jackie Chan actually the star of this movie? Or is this like a Shaolin type situation yeah. where he has like one scene? No, he is a star. And he has not, he doesn't have one Jackie Chan style fight it's like in Will, the movie. It's
1: like Will Smith in Suicide Squad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But this may have been one of the most... Fun experiences I've had watching a Jackie Chan film overall yeah, well, in a long time. the thing is,
1: like, it's two hours, but the last 40 minutes are really just one big long train action scene.
0: And while Jackie Chan doesn't get in any kung fu battles, this film is filled with action. Yeah. And it does have Jackie Chan-style physical play in, in it
1: well there's a funny scene where jackie and his son jc chan on
0: the screen for the first time together
1: yeah and they're good together yeah they've got they've got good chemistry but like they have a scene where they're both like connected by a rope and you know gravity defying stunts and shit
0: and you know we don't want to hype it up too much either because people are going to be like oh yeah new good jackie chan well, film
1: you know we after that scene where they're like on the ropes together i i said to you i'll take it and you said you're like a dying man in the desert <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anything, just like a dried-up cactus, you're just suckling it, hoping for that um, nutrition.
1: This is—it's certainly a flawed film. I mean, like all, uh, like all of Ding Shang's films, it has this dingy beige, like
0: and you mean every Chinese film. Yeah, in the last
1: this five years, affectless digital sheen that makes it a bit of an eyesore.
0: It moves way too fast and has a hundred characters.
1: I can't follow all the characters. I also felt like, like for the first third of the movie. Uh, it was edited in such a way that I could barely tell what was going on. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Like, Ding Shen's style is very handheld and he'll, like, cut to four different angles when people are having one conversation. You're like, wait, what's going on? But once it gets into its groove... And you can like kind of say, like, alright, I know half of Jackie Chan's team. <laughs> uh, the important ones who do stuff. Yeah. And because the climax is forty minutes, like, that's pretty compelling in the way it plays out. It's
1: definitely one of the better late period Jackie Chan films. However, we saw the trailer today also for his next film coming out later this month called
0: Kung Fu Yoga. Directed by Stanley Tong, who has been dormant for twelve years, I assume, waiting for the opportunity to bring the magic that he brought in films like SuperCop, Rumble,
1: Rumble in, in the, the Bronx,
0: Bronx. Uh, The Myth,
1: <laughs> First Strike, Mister Magoo, with Leslie Nielsen.
0: <laughs> I just love the idea that Jackie like called him up and like Stanley Tong had like a noose around his neck and was about <laughs> to kick the chair out.
1: Kung Fu Yoga is a Chinese Bollywood co-production. Oh, yes. It looks like it might actually be a stealth sequel to The Myth. <laughs> Because once, Not a
0: good movie. Not A terrible no. film. No, you know what? It has a good first 35 minutes.
1: The myth has one, I think, really solid scene where they're on the, uh, what is it, like the it's glue? It's like the glue. The glue conveyor
0: belt. Yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah. But like that movie, Jackie Chan plays an archaeologist named Jack. <laughs> So, I think it's a sequel.
0: (laughs) But his name is always Jack or Jackie in every movie. Uh,
1: But in this one, uh, there's a scene where he's like riding in a car with a lion in the backseat. Unfortunately, it's a CGI lion because (laughs) Jackie doesn't do his own stunts
0: anymore. I mean, there's scenes in Railroad Tigers where like Jackie like falls between two trains. Whoa, whoa! And it's like obviously just a CG backdrop going out (laughs) from under it. And it's like, you know what? We'll we'll take what we can get. Yeah.
1: I mean, the man is 62 and is presumably in constant
0: pain. (laughs) I think we can only do a Jackie Chan episode, like our 100th episode.
1: Okay, you you heard it here first, guys. Our 100th episode will be our Jackie Chan
0: episode. Mark your calendar.